Good morning. Works better when you cut it on. Uh, hey, it's good to see everybody here with us this morning. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here at Fusion City Church, and so I have the, the distinct privilege and honor of most, uh, most weeks uh, being the one that gets to stand up here and talk to all you smiling, pretty people, and uh, I very much look forward to that every week, and we're glad that you're here with us today. We are in uh, week two of a series called Who We Are. Uh, if you've been tracking along with us for the last couple of months, maybe you've you know, you kind of been uh, privy to some of the information that we are we were in a transition from uh, being part of the multi-site church high rock, and we're now kind of on our own, independent and autonomous church. That's why when you pulled in this morning, like the signs in the parking lot said high rock church, and then we said welcome to Fusion City Church, and some of y'all might have been like what? And so we're just trying to clear that up a little bit. Uh, we were high rock. Uh, we have. Uh, upon God's leading, stepped out to become uh, independent and all autonomous. And so you'll maybe see some changes out there in the parking lot in the next coming weeks, we hope. Um, but regardless of what the name of the front of the building is or what the name we say we are, whatever here, we're all here for the purpose this morning of being able to, to, to figure out this, this faith thing, this Christ and God stuff together. And so through that process, what we've decided to do is, is start, a, start off our existence as Fusion City Church by talking a little bit about who we believe it is that God wants us to be as a church. And if you were with us last week or if you had a chance to check out the podcast on our brand new website that went up this week, I hope that all of you had a chance to check that out, fusioncitychurch.com. You were able to listen to the podcast there. You would have heard that last week was kind of a, an overview type feeling to, to what we're talking about in this series. That, and, and before we could figure out who we are to be as a church, we want to figure out what the church was designed to be originally. And so last week we answered the question, what is the church, and uh, we, we settled on a definition last week that the church is a collective group of people, a, a body of people, all asking the question in relation to who we believe Christ to be, now what? And that as a result of us asking that now what question, we are in a continual pursuit of what it is that God would have us to do next. And every step in our life, God calls us to something. And even when we complete that, unless God takes us home to, to heaven for eternity, there's still more that God wants us to do. And so we have to continually be asking the question, like, God, what is it that you want from me Next, And like I said, last week was kind of an overview for this series. Well, today we want to get a little more specific as to some of the things that we feel that God is specifically calling this church to be about and to, to accomplish. And this is what we've kind of landed on. We, we have decided that we believe God is calling Fusion City Church to be a place where people can connect with God, where people can connect with other people, and where we can connect other people to God. That those, that are the vision, those are the vision statements for Fusion City Church. We want this to be a place where you can come and, and figure out this faith thing, to connect with God and to be able to, to get some tools and some equipping and some coaching on how do you do that. And we're going to talk about a lot about that today. That's, that's kind of this week. Is we're going to talk about how we connect with God and what that looks like and what it sounds like. And next week we'll talk about what it means to connect with people, realizing that all of us as humans were created to thrive in relationship. You were created to be in relationships with other people. That's why they're so valuable to us. That's why we look forward and, and that's why we thrive when we are in community or in relationship with other people. We'll talk about that next week. And then the third week, and three, two weeks from now, we'll talk about connecting other people with God. That for all of us who call ourselves believers, that we are called to the mission of expanding the reach 
of God's kingdom, expanding the reach of the message of the gospel, that that's what we're called to as the church. And so we're going to talk about that for the next couple of weeks. And today, like I said, we're going to talk about what it looks like to connect with God. Here's the best thing, I, the best way that I can describe what it feels like or is like to connect with God. It's a craving. Anybody ever had a craving? All the pregnant or formerly pregnant women, hands went up, right? Like, I, maybe I should have got a pregnant lady up here to talk to us about craving, that whole pickles and ice cream thing that none of us understand or whatever. Here's the thing about a craving. When you crave something, it's uncontrollable. You don't know why, you just do. And a craving, if it's a legit craving, is so strong that you can't just simply ignore it. It's not like, well, it's a craving, but I'll just ignore it and it'll go away. Then it's not a craving, it's a desire. All right? A craving is an itch that must be scratched. You ever, you ever seen a dog that had an itch that they had, that like, you've ever seen a dog that had an itch that was going to be scratched? Like, it don't matter, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. For me, it was one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen in my life. To watch, my, we had an older, Lab- an older Labrador um, and right before she went on to doggy heaven or whatever that works, like, um, I'll talk about that later. But, but before, she, before we lost her, like, she had a skin irritation or whatever, and so she itched a lot. And she would be walking, like, doing something or eating or just, like, whatever, and she would almost, like, just fall, like, to have to scratch. Like, it was immediate. It was so intense that it had to be scratched. Like, that's kind of, when I think about craving, I want to paint this picture so we all get the understanding of what I talk about when I say the word Craving. Y'all tracking? Do you hear like this? I say yes. Okay, good. All right, so now for me, craving happens all the time. We've talked about some of my food cravings, and so I'll, I'll forego some of the food cravings. Madeline, our interpreter, doesn't like it when I talk about one particular craving that I have because I use funny illustrations and she has to sign them to the ladies and it gets weird. So we'll just, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll forego that and give you this, uh, this illustration as, a, as, a, as an alternative. Um, you good? Slow down. Okay, a little. I'll try. All right. So, um, about a year and a half ago, I started hanging out with a couple of friends who are are gun enthusiasts, okay, specifically handgun enthusiasts. Um, Now, I I did the Marine thing, so I got to play with a lot of guns and stuff in the military, a lot of weapons, and it was cool, and like, I I like that kind of stuff, I'm into that kind of stuff. Well, um, these guys were were enthusiastic about it, I haven't really messed with weapons too much since I got out of the Marine Corps, and so it was kind of cool to get back into it, and like, one of them, we went to the range, when I had to do some shooting, and I got to shoot some pretty cool handguns. I was like, oh, man, like, I have got to get me one of these. Like, I, I got to have one of these. Now, whereas like, maybe a, I would say a normal person, because I consider myself to be abnormal, um, a normal person would probably you know, ask around, get, some, get a little bit of advice, uh, maybe, maybe visit a gun store, talk to some people there that know what they're talking about, you know, find a good price, call around a couple places, get a good price, and then go purchase a handgun. Oh, oh no, not me. Because craving for me works a little bit differently than that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to be a little bit interested in something. I have to be infatuated, right? I don't know if, you, if any of you are wired that way as well. Anybody? Show of hands. Okay, I got like three people in here. Good, so I'm not alone. That's okay. Uh, now, for me, like, when I, get, when I get interested in something, I have to know everything about what I'm interested in. And so before I made the decision to purchase my first handgun, um, I, I, sh- I went to three different gun shows in a couple different counties and cities and that kind of stuff and like I put my hands on lots of different kind of pistols and handguns and stuff that I was thinking about buying 
but that wasn't enough. Like, I researched every article. Like, my wife and my, my kids would go to bed at, you know, maybe 9.30 or 10 o'clock. I was up till 1, like, on the Internet researching stuff and looking at articles and reading reviews and all kinds of stuff. And then once I finally figured out what kind of pistol that I wanted to buy, what, what manufacturer that I wanted to purchase, um, then I had to pick out what caliber I wanted to get, right, because there's, there's lots of different sizes of ammo that you could get. And so then I went and I researched all the caliber stuff and figured out which one get, you get most bang for your buck no pun intended, or I think there is a pun intended, most bang for your buck. Um, and then I figured out, well, which brand of which caliber was the best, right? Like, so like one brand made a better 9 millimeter, than another brand made a forty caliber, and like some of them were good and some were bad, so I had to research all that stuff. And then I had to figure out if the gun that I had selected had any issues with the caliber of ammo that I wanted and the brand of ammo that I wanted. Would that one feed or fail to feed in the particular pistol that I wanted to buy? So, like, so it was like a four-month process for me right, of making the decision to purchase a, a gun, like, because I was infatuated, I craved it, like, I couldn't get enough of it, I thought it was cool, and because it was cool, I had to get more, and more, and more, and more of it, right, like, that's, that's how craving works, it was an itch that had to be scratched, I couldn't cut it off, now, I do this with lots of stuff, like, every, everything, but that's more stories for another message, but, um, so, that's how craving works here's why i'm giving you the whole craving and i'm making a big deal out of it because that was part that was the mentality and perspective of the first christians the first people who last week we talked about peter and peter preached on the day of pentecost and three thousand people got saved those three thousand people got a taste of something good that day the Bible tells us, Peter told them, that, hey, when you begin and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's going to be good stuff. Like, you're going you're to enjoy it. That's good stuff. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. Now, let me kind of give you my lens through which I view my understanding of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a traditional Southern Baptist church. All right, now in the, in, in here in North Carolina, traditional Southern Baptist churches in the state of North Carolina, we are scared of the Holy Spirit because all of us who were traditional Southern Baptist people, we had friends who were Pentecostal, and when they talked about the Spirit, then folks got crazy, right? <laughs> and so for the long, so so the Baptists are scared of the Holy Spirit because we thought it would make us something that we didn't want to be. And I'm not picking on Pentecostals; I'm picking on. The, all of us, right? Like the Baptists, we're a little bit scared of the Holy Spirit. Pentecostals, they like, this, they like the Holy Spirit a little too much, I think. Like they, they, they credit the Holy Spirit with some things that maybe he don't get credit for, right? But wh- whatever. So the, the Holy Spirit for a long time in the church has been untalked about. Like nobody wants to talk about it because nobody really knows what it was. And so I, I wanted, before we moved any further in this message or got any further into what we're talking about, I want to talk about what it means to get that taste of God inside of you, because that's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is, is God inside of us. And I know if you're new to church, that's a really weird concept. Like, that's the spiritual part of what we talk about, is God's Spirit living inside of us. But here are a few things. I wrote them down, stuck them here in my Bible so that I could read them and wouldn't forget them, that I want us to understand about the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Spirit marks the beginning of the Christian experience. That apart from the, God's presence coming to live inside of us, we cannot be connected to Christ. And so if God's Spirit is not in you, then you are not connected to 
Christ. There's a verse in Romans 8, chapter 9 that tells us that very thing. Number two, the Spirit is the power of our new lives. You might, if you want to take notes, these might be worth writing down there on the back of your program. Uh, the Spirit marks the beginning of the Christian experience. And number two, the Spirit is the power of our new lives. Jesus said, power will come on you when I send the helper. We read that last week, uh, Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, I'm going to send my helper. And then in the power of my helper that comes, the Holy Spirit that comes, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it will be the power of the Holy Spirit working within you that's going to allow you to accomplish that. So here's what we're, we're finding out, that when... The Spirit of God comes to live inside of us through the Holy Spirit. We are capable of doing things that we couldn't, we're not capable of apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit. So there's power that we have access to through the Holy Spirit. And then number three, the Spirit unites all believers. That's all believers. Like in the Greek, the word all, it means all. Like the all believers. And so globally, all of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and have had God's Spirit come to live and be part of our lives, we are all now connected. There's something that unites us together, and it is the Spirit of God living within us, which is what makes it so cool when we cooperate or collaborate with other churches, especially in this city. And we're going to do some of that as Fusion City Church. I have a great partnership with some other pastors here in the area. We're going to all get together, and we're going to go try to reach our city together. And it doesn't matter what church gets the credit because we're all united under something, and we're all united under the banner of God's Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter where they end up going to church as long as they get to hear about Jesus. Amen? So that's what we're going to be involved in. So keep your eyes out for that. We're going to begin partnering and doing some stuff with other churches locally. Now, what I found really interesting about the Holy Spirit is a misconception that I had for quite some time that I wanted to share with you just in case you might have the same misconception. I used to be really jealous of the people in the Bible who got to hang out with Jesus. When I began my relationship with Christ and I understood that Jesus, being God's son, came to earth, lived among us, perfect, sinless life, died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins, didn't stay dead, came back to life three days later, resurrected, ascended into heaven, sits at God's right hand right now. Here's the thought that I had. Man, how cool would it be to hang out with Jesus? Like, that would be awesome. Like, this guy that was willing to give his life so that I could walk in freedom from my sin, I would like to have lunch with him. I like to sit down with, with, for coffee across the table from Jesus and just listen to him teach. Like, I would value that. There is nothing greater on the face of the planet that would be possible for me than if Jesus were to manifest himself, show up at Fusion City Church on Tuesday and be like, hey, Brian, you want to go to lunch? Like, that would have been the pinnacle of existence for me. But Jesus said something interesting in the Gospel of John. And I want to read it to you, and then we'll we'll talk about it for a minute. John chapter 16, verse 7. Now, this is Jesus talking to his disciples right before he's getting ready to go away, into heaven, ascend, and and be gone. Here's what he says. Verse 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Advocate being the Holy Spirit, helper, comforter, advocate, all synonymous with Holy Spirit. The advocate won't come. But if I do go away, 
then I will send him to you. Here's the picture. The disciples are hanging out with Jesus. They are doing what I just told you I wanted to do. Like, I wanted to just be at lunch with Jesus. I don't know, I don't know the particular setting for, for this conversation. I, I didn't look it up. But Jesus is telling them, this is what he says. It is better for you to have the Holy Spirit than to have lunch with me. It is better that I go away because until I go away, you can't get the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want us to understand. Having the Holy Spirit as a part of our lives is a big deal. It's better than being with Jesus face to face. According to Jesus' own words, it is better for us to have the Holy Spirit than for Jesus to be with us physically. That's kind of a big deal. If you skip down to verse 13, Jesus goes on to tell them a little about what the Spirit is going to do in their lives. This is what he says, verse 13 in John chapter 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. You're going to be able to know what's true and what's not. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He'll give you discernment. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So now, Jesus isn't with us physically, but the Holy Spirit is going to tell us everything that Jesus wants to tell us from the inside out. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives for me. Jesus said, everything that I'm going to get from the Father, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit give it to you. The Holy Spirit's kind of a big deal. And the Holy Spirit marks the beginning of the Christian experience. Here's, here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you have had an authentic transformation into the Christian fold, if you have had a legitimate change based on an interaction and a connection with God, and the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you, you know it. You don't wonder if God is at work inside of you. You know. Like, you know that you know that you know. That's an old, old, Baptist preaching right there. You know that you know that you know. When when the Holy Spirit has come and become a part of your life, you know that you know that you know. And when it happens, you cannot help but to respond to it. It is so powerful. Here's, Here's that word craving, right? Once you get a taste of it, Like just a morsel of the goodness that is God inside of you. It's never going to be enough. It's not enough to just merely have the the morsel. The morsel is not enough. It's like Lay's potato chips, right? You cannot get just one. It's got to be, there has to be more. That's where we got that idea last week when we were talking about now what, and now what, and now what. That's what it is. It's that taste of God's goodness that requires you. To crave more. 
And so that's what, that's what I want to see. Now that we get to see what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in and we get that craving for more, I want to look at what it did, how it played out for those first believers in Acts chapter 2. Read with me, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves. I want you to, if you're in your Bible, I want you to underline the word devoted or write it in your notes because we're ready to define it in a minute. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So, so here's kind of the picture I want us to see. They, they had to do something. Like, we just received a, a gift from God, the Holy Spirit. Now what do we do? So let's, let's get together and talk about it. Let's have some meals together, and let's hang out together. And then can you just teach me some more, and teach me some more, and teach me some more? Like, I've got to know more. i got to know more. i got to know more. I got hung up this week in my study on the word devoted in that verse. And devoted is not a word that we use in its proper context very often in our English language. It's a word that we, we, we know it. Uh, we talk about it at weddings and stuff like that, devotion. And you know, sometimes if you're you know, like a, a church camp or whatever, somebody will do like a devotion in the morning. But we don't, I don't think we get the proper context. And so I, I, I wanted to define it for us. So here's the definition for the word devoted. It means to persist obstinately in. To, to persist obstinately in. Now... I don't know about you, but I don't use the word obstinate a whole lot. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't really, that didn't help me out a whole lot. And so I, def, I went and defined obstinate. Here's what obstinate means. Stubborn. Refusing to change. And the one that hit me right between the eyes in the context of the word devoted is this. Difficult to control. Devoted means to persist obstinately in, and obstinate means to be difficult to control. Do you, do you, can you put that equation together? Here's what that looks like. I can't get enough. I am out of control. Like, it doesn't matter how much of God I get, I need more. I have to have more. I got some, I got more, I still need more. There is this persistence that is out of control in my life. Like, God, I've tasted it, I've felt it, I've experienced it, and it's not enough. I know that there is more to you, God, than I'm ever going to fully understand, but I want as much of it as I can possibly get. And when I get more, all I'm going to want is more. That idea of craving, of passion, of overwhelming desire to own or possess, that's what these, when it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that's what it's talking about. Like, they were teaching for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And the apostles are like, whoo, we're tired, we're going to go home. They're like, no, keep teaching. Like, it's not enough. I've got to have more. Just give me more. And then here's what hit me. That's not what our churches in Kannapolis look like, is it? Let's bring it home. That's not what our church looks like, is it? See, there's a hunger that comes from being connected with God and having the Holy Spirit in your life. There is an un quenchable 
craving for more of God from the moment that we first connect with Him. Here's what I see when I look at my own life. I'm, I'm not excluded from this. I mean, when I look at my own life, when I look at the landscape of our church, when, when I talk to, to my pastor buddies about the landscape of their church, the hunger, the passion, and the craving, it's gone. It's gone. Here's kind of the, the main thought, big idea for today, if you want to write this down. Connecting with God satisfies a craving. It does. To connect with God, it's a satisfying feeling. But it should also result in one. Did you get that? You, you see what I'm, you picking up what I'm putting down? You smelling what I'm stepping in, right? Like connecting with God satisfies a craving, but it also results in one. And now here, here's the craving that it satisfied. If you, if you walked in today, somebody you know, kind of drug you in here, they, they was like, hey, let's go to breakfast, and they brought you to church, and you're like, man, when am I going to get breakfast? And like, If you don't have a relationship with God, if you didn't come looking for a relationship with God, there is a craving in your life, and I know it. You don't have to tell me. You could even lie to me and tell me, I don't have a craving, I don't have God, and I don't have a craving. Liar. Because you do. Because every single one of us were created for a purpose, for a mission. There's a design to your life. And God is the one that gave you that design and that purpose and that direction. And until you begin to live according to the purpose for which you were created, you will always feel like there is more to life that you are missing out on. And you're right. You are missing out. The difference between you and me is I know what you're missing because I found it. There is a craving that exists prior to our relationship with Christ that beginning a relationship with Him satisfies. And for the first time in our lives, we will begin to understand why we're here. But at the, simultaneously, the moment that our craving is satisfied for our purpose for existing, a new craving is created in response to this Holy Spirit that gives us just a taste, a portion of God's goodness. It creates a hunger and a drive and a craving and a passion that is intense within us, that we cannot get enough. And the first believers that we're ta- we've been talking about last week and this week, like, like they, Peter preached and like, we get it. Now what? And, and, and they didn't know what to do. They didn't really know. Peter told them, repent, be baptized. They're like, okay, we did that. Now what? And the now what we find in verses 43 through 47 of Acts 2. Let's read this together. A deep sense of all. You get all, right? Like just, just overwhelmed. A deep sense of overwhelming feeling came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, look what they just they, they couldn't figure out what to do, so they just did everything. All right, this is what they did. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple. Each day, that's every day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God 
and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And look what happened. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Folks, that's the church. That's the church. The church is a bunch of believers that have all experienced the same gift, the same indwelling. That's the, I try to stay away from that word because it's all churchy, but that's what it is. It's the indwelling of God inside of us, the Holy Spirit inside of us. And as a response, the only other people that understand what it feels like to have God inside of them are people who have God inside of them. And so those are the people that I want to put all around me. I can't get enough of other believers because I, not only do I get to share what God is doing in my life, but I get to hear what God is doing in their life and I'm encouraged and I'm jacked up and I'm passionate and I yell a lot because I get excited about what it is that God is doing in the lives of all those who have Christ, God, the Holy Spirit in them. It's exciting. It should be. That's the church. Like, what do we do? Like, we've got God. What do we do? I don't know. Let's just sell all our stuff and give it away. Like, let's just let's hang out all the time. Let's go to church every day. Let's eat meals together and hang out and just talk about Jesus. Let's just do that. Let's just, whatever we can, whatever we can do to try and get just a little bit more of God, let's do that. Because I don't know what else to do. Nothing else seems like, seems worth it anymore. That's... That's the New Testament church. That's the start of it. That's what it looked like. That's what it sounded like. That's what it felt like. If you fast forward, I, I, I want to read you one. I want to put an exclamation point on it one more time. Like I, I yelled a lot, which is exclamation. But if I can just give you one more account in the book of Acts that I think really kind of hammers this idea home. I want, to re, I want to read it to you. But before I read it to you, I want to set it up because it was a lot of reading. And we just didn't have time for us to read all of it. So here's, here's what's going on. In, in Acts chapter 5, you should go read it. It's awesome. Acts chapter 5, Peter and John, a couple of the other apostles, they're teaching in the temple area. Now, the religious leaders of the day, they did not believe that Jesus had come back from the dead and that he was the Messiah. So, and they are the leaders of the temple. Well, John and Peter and some other apostles, they're at the temple teaching Jesus came back from the dead, and he's the Messiah. He's resurrected. All right, so as you might believe, all right, the religious leaders did not like the fact that Peter and John were there teaching that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they get mad, and they have them arrested and thrown in jail. They get thrown in jail. An angel comes and sets them loose. Now, you would think, whoo, I got locked up for teaching about Jesus. An angel came and set me free. Let's get the heck out of Dodge, right? Let's get out of here. No, that's not what they did. The angel set them free. They went right back to the temple. And they're teaching about Jesus, that he's been resurrected, that he came back to life, and that he's the Messiah. And so they arrest him again because they knew right where to find him. They didn't go very far. So they go back and they arrest him again. And they put him in prison, and eventually they pull him in front of the high priest and the high council. And the high priest says, man, didn't we tell you to quit teaching this stuff in the temple? And Peter looks at him and says, yeah, you told us that, but you ain't God. And I got to do whatever I feel like I can for God. Like I've got, I don't, I don't have a choice but to do that. I can't answer to human authority when I got God telling me to do something different. Which, as you might believe, made the high priest very angry. 
So the high priest and the council are like, man, let's kill these guys. Let's just kill them. And then one guy speaks up and says, well, we can't really kill them because, man, they've been doing a lot of good stuff. They've been healing people. They're helping people. The believers are selling their houses and all their stuff and giving the money to the poor. Like, we can't just kill these guys. That looks bad for us politically. And so one of their, like, smartest guys named Gamaliel, he speaks up and he goes, here's, here's what we should do. Let's just let them go. Because if this is not of God, then it'll fizzle out. But if it is of God, then we're going to end up fighting against something that God is doing. And we don't, we don't want that. So let's just, let's just let them go. Well, they didn't, just, they didn't just let them go. They decided to beat them first. So they beat them, tell them, you better stop teaching about Jesus. And then they let them go. All right, so that's, that's the story. Acts chapter 5. I want to read you one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture in verse 41. We'll get there in a second. Verse 40, the second half. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. That's beaten. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God, watch this, God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Did you get that? They were rejoicing that they had gotten beaten because they had gotten beaten for preaching the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. That's crazy. Isn't it? If you beat me, if, like, I'm on my way to the truck today and a bunch of y'all throw me in the back of a van, tie me to a pole, and beat me because I preached today, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to be happy about that. But they were. Like, we got to get beaten for Jesus. Like, they were, on, they were excited that they had been beaten for preaching about Jesus. You, let me, here, just, ah, follow me. Where is that in the church today? Back, back in the late 90s, in the early 2000s, there was this movement that swept across the, the whole fabric of church world where we wanted to make Christianity easy. So that we could get more people in. So we made it attractional. We started wearing blue jeans and t-shirts. And we started playing cool music and having lots of fun and doing some cool stuff. We, we did that too. And I, it was the right thing to do. Not, for, not to make church easy, but to, to make it comfortable. Here's where we failed. As the church. In our effort to become more appealing to people... We made it more comfortable by asking for less commitment. See, we, we wanted people to feel like, hey, man, just come be a Christian. It's easy. All you got to do is show up. Just show up to church. The band's going to play some cool music. Preacher's going to try to be funny. Like, just show up. It'll be, it'll be cool. Just come hang out. And we started asking for less and less and less commitment and buy-in from people because when you ask people to commit to things that makes them uncomfortable, 
And we didn't want to make people uncomfortable because we were trying to make it appealing. They were rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer. And we did everything we could to make it more and more and more comfortable. We failed. We messed up. And I remember, I was thinking about it this week, I I had to attend a funeral um, at the church that I grew up in. And um, I was thinking back to some of the memories that I had from that church. And I remember these, these little old ladies that taught the same Sunday school class of the same age kids for decades. Every single Sunday for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they taught the same class with the same age kids. And they did it until God called them home. Some of these people were in their 70s and 80s teaching seven and eight year olds. Dang, I'm just saying, I mean, just get that for a minute, right? I went to a friend of mine's dad's funeral this week, and they said the same thing, that he taught a Sunday school class of, I think, seven-year-olds, I think was what it was, for 45 years, every Sunday. And even in our church, right here, not anybody else's church, even in ours, right? I'm talking about us. We've had people... Tell us that, man, I just, I really can't commit. You know, like every fifth Sunday, gosh, I just don't fit in my sky. I don't know. I don't want to get burned out. I can't commit to serving every fifth Sunday. Rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer. Here's all I'm saying. I, I know it sounds like I'm beating up on you. I kind of am a little bit. I'm sorry. Y'all forgive me. Here's why. I just want us to see that, man, when the church got going, when the church got off the ground, it was all about, God, what, what can we do? Beat me, take my house, take just whatever I can do so that more people will know there's a God that loves them. It, it, was, it was beyond craving. It was insanity. But it was awesome. And when I look at our church, I don't see a bunch of people crazy for Jesus. I, I see a lot of people who are very much in control. Okay, I love Jesus. And we're good. That's not loving Jesus. That's, that's, that's liking Jesus a whole lot and being really entertained and comfortable and content so here here's what we want fusion city church to be we want to be nuts for jesus we we just want to be a little bit out of control for christ like we've tasted it we've seen it i've put my hands i've experienced it oh but it's not enough like i know there's more than that because there is god is infinite his depth is immeasurable there's always going to be more of god 
We gotta, we've got to continually be seeking to connect with that. And the more that we connect, there's going to be further to go. And then we're going we're gonna to reach that, and there's going to be further to go, and we're going to reach that. And we're, we're never going to run out of God. But, that's, but we still got to try, because that's, that's what having the Holy Spirit inside of us is. So here's what, here's what I'm asking you to ask yourself this morning. Is he there? Have I ever truly experienced God? Because if you have, then there should be a hunger, a craving, a passion, an intensity about your life. And if it's not, if there's not, listen, hear me, please. Maybe, just maybe, God's not there. It is possible for God to be there. And we we can have that hunger, but we can suppress it. We've gone on a Jesus diet, right? And we need need to get off the diet, the the Jesus one. We'll stay on the rest of them. But we we need to get off the Jesus diet. Diet. We've, we've spent a lot of time suppressing Jesus. And it's about time to just let him have full range. If we'll, we'll, we, will, we will splurge on Jesus as a church in an effort to connect with him. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to I pray for us. I want to pray for, for all of us that, that have had the craving and suppressed it held it back, that lost our hunger, lost our drive to go after God. I want to pray for us. and I don't want to be the only one praying for us. And so I'm not going to stand up here and pray out loud. I'm going to pray right here. And I'm going to ask you to to join me here, the front of the stage. If you would pray, God, make me hungry. Make our church hungry. Would you, would you come and pray for our church? Would you come and pray for your own life? God, make me hungry. And then God, as a result of making me hungry and everybody else in the church hungry, that we become a church that's hungry for the things of God. God, would you well up that craving within us as a church? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, Corp. I'm going to pray for all of us. And then, and then I'm going to get on my face right here because let me tell you, I've, I've on occasion lost my hunger I, I want to I wanna talk to God about that. I want to have some time with God about that. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to build something in me that this world can't take away or tear down. And I'm going to encourage you to join me here and to do the same. Because we get a whole church connecting with God that way, a whole church hungry after God, we will change a city. But it can't start with us until it starts with you. Until it starts with me. Pray with me. God, Lord, would you make us hungry? Would you fill us up with your spirit in a way, God, that does not allow us to be content? God, if, if we are reluctant, if we are hesitant, God, would you, would you push your way in? God, would you teach us to respond? to the gospel, to the good news of your son who 
loved us enough to give his life on a cross, who came back to life and defeated death and sin. God, would you help us to respond to that with, not with complacency or apathy, but God, with passion, hunger and craving. God, would you build into each and every one of us, God, a heart that is after you. God, begin to change us, continue to change us from the inside out. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence in our lives. God, we ask you now to once again to fill us with your spirit, your presence. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.